Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Primordial Soup Pod. My name is Aaron Johnson. I'm Rustin Perret. Each episode, Rustin and I cover some of the strange topics of natural history, ecology, evolution, and just the strange side of nature in general. Today's episode will be about courtship and mating rituals. Yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to this one. I don't know about you. I, I wasn't. <laughs> wow. So I guess we should just tell people to just, you know, get the hell out right now. I knew Aaron, what I was going to do, but it's like it's it's a little tidbit. It's a little appetizer. Aaron, Aaron's not even remotely excited, guys. There's no reason you should be. Yeah. And that's it. That's the episode. <laughs> All right. Thanks for stopping by. All right. See you, see you next time, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know about the next topic for the episode somehow. We'll probably write it in the sky or something like that. Most people will be very confused, but uh, anyway, so you said you got a little tidbit for us about courtship that you're very lukewarm about. Yeah, it's just a little tidbit. All right. So, go ahead and hit me with it, why don't you? All right, today I'm going to be talking about the mating behaviors of flatworms. I saw something about this when I was looking for topics, actually. Yeah, all right, so you pretty much know everything I'm going to talk about. I don't know everything. Like I, There's not much to it. I'll talk more about this when I do my piece because I want to talk about like how I found the research for this episode because it ties really well into my piece. But basically I did a bunch of, I did like a broad search of mating displays and mating rituals and things like that. And flatworms did come up. So I know that they're really cool, but I don't remember how to be totally honest with you. All right. Well, let's all learn a thing or two. So for starters, with a lot of mating behaviors, you'll often find, not always the case, but usually that one sex is selling a product and the other is buying it. Usually men are doing the selling. Yes, usually they're advertising themselves, showing off like, hey, look at me, I'm so cool, I'm hot shit, and all that. And the other's like, eh, all right, could be worse. <laughs> So with many birds, you'll find that... It could be cool. It could be cool. With many birds, you'll find that males are usually brighter and flashier because they have to advertise themselves, whereas the females are more choosy, and usually they're more drab, but that's not always the case. There's always an exception. A great example is peacocks. The males got all the funky feathers, and they're looking all colorful, and the females just kind of... All right. But, but fallow ropes do exist so you know it's not everybody okay like i said i knew there's an exception i had no clue what it was but i knew there was at least one yeah it's the it's the it's the fallow ropes the females actually compete for the males and the males are the ones that raise the young while i mean while the female just you know screws right off and goes to find another guy to hook up with after she lays her eggs nice role reversal for you anyway sorry continue so usually like i said the males are kind of showing a product and the females are buying. Well, things get a little bit complicated when the animal in question is both. So you're buying and selling? You're a hermaphrodite. You're a male and female. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So flapworms are hermaphrodites. They got both the male and the female bits. So when both animals can both fertilize and birth their offspring, there's no real display between the two. So... In evolutionary terms, having kids is very costly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
It takes a lot of energy, think of like a lot of calories you're putting in, and a huge time investment to ensure your offspring survive and continue to reproduce so the genes continue passing down. So it kind of makes sense when neither individual really wants to have kids. Like there are plenty of animals where the dudes just, once they fertilize, they're gone. It's not their problem anymore. And because the females, you know, they have to give birth, they are the ones that have to put in all the work for it. The dudes, they're out. They bailed. Yeah. I, I'm just going to take that, go on a quick tangent here for a little bit, because I, it just goes to show you that the concept of people saying that we're pregnant isn't really accurate. No, she's pregnant. You kind of did a thing at the very beginning. No, I hate when people say that. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, someone I know. will say, this couple is pregnant. Well, no. No. She's pregnant. Only one of them is. Because it, it makes it seem like the guy is contributing something meaningful there. Like, no, He's you're not. He's not going through birth. He just has to stand there and clap, pretty much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just has to get his hand squeezed really hard, basically. Like He just gets real close and gives the woo. <laughs> right. it, the stereotypical like when you're playing a peewee soccer game and you really suck at it and the parent says oh you had good hustle out there <laughs> not even yeah you're giving some real good hustle right there not even it's that's what you tell your kid after he just spent the entire game on the bench <laughs> like that's yeah. that's guys during pregnancy they're just they're just on the they're just on the bench doing nothing you give him a little handkerchief and like some well. gatorade and call the day right yeah exactly you might you could maybe be be classified as a water boy in this scenario like at best at best right so how does this relate to flatworms again oh yes so with most hermaphrodite animals they engage in what's known as bilateral sperm transfer and that's kind of where like they just they just pull up and they both do it at the same time they hop out at the after party (laughs) <laughs> hop out right the after party uh sometimes if you're i was gonna say if you're lucky i guess lucky is no not if you're lucky if you walk outside after it rains sometimes you can see two worms and right at the little like turtleneck joint of them they're connected so that's oh, worm yeah. sex yeah and in that they're both fertilizing each other so it's 50 50 you know they both gotta bear the load there Gotcha. It's, it's equality gotcha. is what it is. They both go home. Snyder's thrilled about it, but, you know, at least misery likes company. <laughs> Tell me that isn't your pickup line. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when both flatworms want to fertilize the eggs, but neither want to have their eggs fertilized? So both the worms essentially want to act as the father, but neither wants to be the mother. Sounds like a really unstable situation. Well, this is the glorious art of penis fencing. Are you serious? Yeah, that's that's what it's called. There's a Wikipedia page for it and everything. I just I just out here crossing swords. <laughs> it's it's a literally like a middle school locker room sword fight. Can you? I'm talking I'm... like Ghostbusters urinal don't cross the stream kind of thing. <laughs> No, right now I'm just imagining a very different ending to The Princess Bride. <laughs> Takes to the pain to a whole new meaning. My name is Enrico Montoya. You will father my children. Prepare to die. Oh, I was thinking of the scene. I, why was I not even thinking of that scene? I was thinking the end when he's challenging the prince. 
Oh. Yeah, I, yeah. I totally forgot about that. How do you forget about that? That's like one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. It oh, is. Wait. It is. Anyways, so this is not all flapworms. This is only marine flapworms in the genus Pseudobiceros. Pseudobiceros. Okay. So all those other flatworms that probably aren't listening are just we don't want to make sure we want to make sure they don't write us any angry letters or anything like that. No, exactly. We don't want to stereotype them. No, of course not. I imagine they're pretty civil about it. And some of them you can just cut them in half and you get two flatworms. See, there you go. They're they're very civil. You could divide you can even divide them and they'll evenly split up into new individuals. It's all very fair. Very fair. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about the uh, marine ones. So, when two of these flapworms see each other, the first thing they do is kind of size each other up. The worms stretch themselves up as high as possible and kind of begin to circle around like a pair of boxers do. You know, they're shuffling a little bit. They're kind of trying to look and act bigger for the other one. The ultimate goal of this is to inseminate the other flapworm, and they do this with two barbed stylets. So these guys have double barrel dicks. What? Yeah, they got two penises and they're barb. Wait, so 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 do they have two penises or is it one penis that's double barreled? Like is it uh, one It's it's two. Phallus, it's like or? two little cones. It kind of looks like two little white nipples actually. They're not very big. They're just kind of chodes. So they're not sword fighting. They're like dagger fighting. Am I getting the right picture of this? Not, it's more of a shiv. I'm being generous. So we're in prison now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> they look like two little white nipples. And one of them was made from a discarded toothbrush. The other was made from a couple Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> Another thing is the flapworms don't have vaginas or any sort of cloacal opening for this. Okay. They have to puncture the skin and inject it into the hemocil of the rival. So basically, it's a hypodermic penis. Gross. So these guys are literally just trying to stab each other to death. So this really is like a sword fight. Yeah, it's really like fencing. The goal is to stab the other worm while also avoid being stabbed. So you don't want to just go in hot and then you get jabbed a couple times because then you both lose. There's an art to it. It's a dance. So like in prison, it's not uncommon for inmates to get in duels where they like shank each other to the death. I think that's just not uncommon in fights in general, but sure, prison, yeah. Yeah, well, I've only seen this on TV. I'm not a hardened criminal. I've, I've never done any time before and witnessed this firsthand. You? Dude. <laughs> I know, despite how I sound. Uh, yeah, all those gang tattoos, man. I thought you were at least <laughs> oh, done I'm five covered years. in face tattoos. I got three teardrops you guys will never see. Yeah, man, you're, you're, you're looking like nerdy Post Malone. It's crazy. I thought you at least done a few years in the clink. So basically, this is one of those duels, except the inmates are like also making out with each other at the same time. Wow, okay. That's the best way to put it in like human's perspective. And as exciting as I'm trying to make this, it's really not thrilling to watch in real life. They're basically two flamboyant pieces of bacon just kind of writhing around trying to poke each other with two little hooks. That sounds, that, that does sound very entertaining to watch. That sounds like the concept of the movie Sausage Party. Did you ever see that one? That movie sucked. It wasn't terrible. I stand by. The purpose of that movie was just, they were thinking, hmm, how many, like, swear words can we put in one movie? 
Like, that was the idea when they sat okay. down and started writing it. That's just every Seth Rogen movie. As far exactly. as Seth Rogen movie. Okay. <laughs> Be that as it may. For a Seth Rogen movie, it was good. It was like a mid-tier Seth Rogen movie, and the fact that it was animated made it kind of funnier because you, you know, you get to see a whimsically animated potato go around saying "fuck" all the time. It was great. Come on, that's funny. The kids love it. Kids love cursing sausages and penis innuendos. It's fantastic. I mean, if you like that, you might as well just watch Food Fight. No. No. It's only like two degrees away, if we're being honest. No, it's not. No, it's Honestly, not. Honestly, food The only fight... reason, the only way it's two degrees away is maybe in terms of budget. In terms of anything else, no. So, Food Fight is one of those shitty movies we watched. It was, the started production in 2002. All the film's files were stolen in an act of industrial espionage, they called it. And then it came out in 2012, hastily put together with the remaining audio. Uh, stars Charlie Sheen, and he voices a dog detective that's a mascot of a cereal company. I, yeah, I wasn't really sure what any of the main characters actually represented. It's just, they were all mascots. It's like a grocery store, and at night the mascots come to life. Like, uh, Mr. Clean is in the movie. There's like a ton of mascots. I never understood how that worked. Like, no one did. It was just bad. It was so terrible. At least. At least with Sausage Party, you were like, okay, the food is alive, and people can't see that the food is alive and has feelings, and all that. That's fine. That makes sense. Yeah, Food Fight had no rules. With that movie, you with Food Fight, you're just like, what the hell is going on? It just made no sense. It's a weird movie. It's really not worth a watch. It's it's kind of painful at times. Oh yeah, it's horrible to watch. It is actually it actually assaults your eyeballs. It the animation is awful. It's supposed to be a kids movie, and like there are innuendos that are legit worse than Sausage Party. Oh yeah, it's it's so bad. I think with every copy of that movie that they sell, they also give you like the contact information for a registered ophthalmologist to go see <laughs> after you watch the movie. Just like they have to unsee everything <laughs> exactly. Either that or one of those memory erasers from Men in Black. That's at the end of the movie. There's just a red flash. So you can watch <laughs> it again and again. Oh, God, I hope not. Anyways. We got a little off track. What were you yeah, talking about? Yeah, we got a little off track. So when all is said and done, the flapworms go about their ways. The loser of the fight gets to be a mother and goes off to prep egg laying. And the dad decides to go up for some cigarettes and is never seen again. Uh, in one study that I read, it found that sometimes both worms can be inseminated. However, the one that strikes first tends to father more offspring and have less wounds afterwards because they are stabbed during this. So, you know, they got to heal afterwards. So this is the rare case where it actually pays off to come first. Have to have the fastest chode in the West. And yeah, that's that's really all I got. I didn't find much information. There's a lot of videos if you want to watch it. One article I read was complaining about how this was sexist. What, about the flatworms? Yeah, so, like, there's a documentary. It's, like, a two-minute video on YouTube, and they complained the video was sexist for... It's flatworms. It can't be sexist. They're both. Yeah, they're hermaphrodites. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're you're assigning gender roles to the flatworms. Oh, they said like the video assigned the gender roles, but like I, I guess. Oh, they said that the father was the winner because he didn't get inseminated, and then I mean, yeah, he's technically the father. There wasn't a ton on this. I read a couple articles, like some scientific papers, and it was literally just like measurements of how long the fights would last and how many stabs results in what percent of fertility or offspring sired, stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of drained the fun out of it a little bit. Yeah. Statistical analysis and data collection will do that every now and then. And yeah, that's what I got. Yeah. But now I am thinking of a very, very different ending to like an like a Clint Eastwood movie. The penis fencing? Having the having the fastest schlong, just like you know, or or even like a Marty Robbins song, like Big Iron, but with penises. I'm thinking good, the bad, and the ugly, but the ugly has syphilis. <laughs> the, the bad's got a Prince Albert or something, I don't know. The the chlamydia, the gonorrhea, and the AIDS. <laughs> Which one wins? Uh, anyway. All right. Well, that was that was really cool and insightful. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, so now it's I guess it's my turn. Yep. You're up. What you got for me? All right. So full disclosure, I went on a bit of a journey when I was thinking about this topic. Because initially when I suggested this general theme, I had a very particular topic in mind thought I had a ready-made topic, and that was going to be Birds of Paradise, because when you think about mating displays and you think about birds, anyone knows about birds, pretty much the first one of the first groups of birds that come to mind are Birds of Paradise. Um, the issue with Birds of Paradise and talking about them is that as incredible as they are, the most remarkable part about their mating display, in a lot of cases, is the plumage and the dances that they put on to impress females right we've all seen those nature documentaries they're really cute they're really cool cute awesome incredible um i love birds of paradise and they're so much fun but that doesn't really lend itself to a podcast setting yeah you can't really listen to a mating display yeah exactly like me describing a mating display for 30 minutes sounded really really boring you could just watch a two-minute video at that point. Yeah, exactly. Like, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth, like, however many pictures. So you think about how many words I would have to use to even come close to the video. You know what I mean? And it just didn't really add up. It didn't make sense. So the issue with this thought, then, was that it also rules out a lot of other really cool bird mating displays. Because, let's face it, I was going to do a bird. That was a foregone conclusion. When it comes to mating displays and this topic, birds have pretty much outdone every other group of animals. Like, it's not even close. It's embarrassing, right? Birds have all the best mating displays. I will fight anyone who disagrees with that. Like, pretty much every other animal groups just suck at romance, and the males of those species should be embarrassed. Yes, and I'm including... And should be implementing the bird strategies. Exactly. And I am very much including humans in this description, as guys, we really got to up our game and be more like birds in terms of mating displays, not in terms of parenting, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, you don't see Rustin right now, but he's actually dressed up as Eldon John. He's got his <laughs> full-on mate. He's got his mating display ready. 
He's perched up on a dresser and he's <laughs> flapping his wings. Yeah, I got the beak and everything. It's great. The issue is that, as I was talking about earlier, it rolls out a lot of other really cool bird mating displays. Um, like, you know, the bald eagles with their really, really dramatic mating pair death spirals that they'll do together to, re, you know, kind of rekindle their bond between a pair. Western Greaves have these insanely choreographed mating dances where they'll spend like 15, they'll spend, you know, tens of minutes at a time just like doing repeating the same movements back and forth and back and forth and then literally like walking on water across a pond like it's amazing it's romantic it's so cute i recommend people check out any of those examples when we're done listening to this podcast but i couldn't talk about them here because they're much better seen right so i really kind of had to pivot my topic to think about another animal which has a mating display that I can describe on a podcast and is entertaining to talk about, which is how I kind of wound up generally searching mating displays on Google and coming across flatworms, though I didn't remember all that information you were talking about. What I did find, there are other birds which have remarkable mating habits that I felt could be discussed in a podcast setting, and they actually live in some of the same areas as birds of paradise. Um, and they are the bower birds. Have you heard about these? Oh, yes, I think I have heard of these. All right, so bowerbirds are awesome. Most bowerbirds don't have much of a display per se. Um, well, they do. The more incredible or remarkable or and unique part of their display is what they build. It's more, if you're a male bowerbird, your life is basically spent creating this feat of architecture that you are going to use to to help you display to your mate or your potential mate. And your life basically revolves around maintaining this thing. Like that's all you do. Cause that's your only, that's without it, you have no chance of finding a mate and passing on your genetic information. You're just not getting laid period. It's like having an expensive car. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. <laughs> these guys just basically have like all these birds basically have the na the nature equivalent of like a Lamborghini. Like, this is what they think is going to get them laid, and damn it, they're going all in. And there are about 20 different species of bowerbird. They live in parts of Australia and New Guinea. But for this podcast, I'm going to focus on just a few species that I thought were particularly cool. If I wanted to talk about all the bowerbird species, I could, but then this podcast would be like four hours long. But just as an overview of bowerbirds in general, like I said, they're known for building and decorating elaborate structures. And these really come in two different forms. So the first form is what's called an avenue. So basically these birds will construct two walls out of sticks that are, you know, about a bird's width apart. And they'll use those to display to their female and like create their and decorate the area around it. For a lot of these species, the mating will actually take place in between those two walls in that avenue. So I like to think of these guys as like the alleyway bowerbirds. You know, a lot of these kind of look like what the Red Sea looked like after Moses parted it, you know, with like the, the water shooting straight up in the air. That's yeah. kind of what I think of. And then the second kind of structure is kind of like a hut that is built in the rainforest. I call I, I thought I think of these as like cabanas, because that's kind of what they that's kind of what they look like. They're made out of sticks and twigs, and they're built around the central pole, and then there's a cone-shaped thing that well, comes that off of it. Well, that one sounds much nicer. It really is. Would you rather vacation, take a tropical getaway in, like, a little yurt? 
would you rather just like crawl into an alley in Baltimore? I mean, the choice <laughs> is yours. It might be a quaint little alleyway, but it's still an alleyway. Well, to be fair to a lot of these species, they will like build the alleyway like underneath like a bush or a tree. It's not out in the open, really. So there is some coverage, but fair point, fair point. But yeah, so the, I, I think I personally agree. I think the cabana bowerbirds are really, they're really up in their game in terms of their building style and decor. But I'll describe a few species of each different type or a couple species of each type and let our listeners be the judge of which kind they like better. So let's get into it. The first species I want to talk about is the satin bowerbird. These are alleyway bowerbirds. Their alleyways are not particularly large, but the way that they decorate them is what I find absolutely hilarious. Because these are birds that are compulsively attracted to objects which reflect ultraviolet light, basically. What this means is that they love the color blue. Okay, yes. These are the ones I've seen. Like, love it. Like, these birds are actually like an iridescent blue-black kind of color. Or at least the males are. The females, as you would expect, are very drab, uh, nondescript, brown color. But, like, you know you know how in Breaking Bad, like, uh, Marie Schrader is always wearing purple? No, I never noticed that. All right, never mind. So, basically, they're like Marie, who's always wearing purple on that show. For people who actually like Breaking Bad and like Aaron, I guess. I actually like it, but who cares about Marie? She's like the ninth or tenth most important character. Sure, and I agree. I found Marie pretty annoying, too. I didn't think she was annoying. She's just there. Yeah, she was there and she was annoying. I found her pretty annoying. Personally. She came, she shoplifted, she, <laughs> she left. That's all I remember. And she wore a lot of purple while she was <laughs> she doing it. She wore purple, it. <laughs> apparently. Stole a lot of purple, too, I'm guessing. Yeah, probably. I think that spoon that she stole was per- had some purple in it, too. Makes sense. But anyway, so these, are, these birds are like blue-loving Marie Schrader on steroids um, in terms of how much they love this color. Because the males will decorate their alleyway bowers with any kind of blue shit they can find. And this becomes particularly interesting when the birds live near humans, because we create a lot of stuff that is violently blue. And not only do we create a lot of stuff that is almost violently blue, that stuff does not biodegrade. So the these bowerbirds can place, you know, the blue bits of plastic or whatever they find outside of their bower, and it will just stay there and be shiny and blue for as long as they want it to be. So, even in environments when blue stuff is readily available, these birds will still go and, like, hunt around, like, trash and around, like, picnic benches and stuff. I actually read this uh, description from this guy online who wrote an article about these birds. And the first time he ever encountered a male uh, satin bowerbird, he was wearing a blue shirt. And the bird actually, like, started approaching him and, like, you know... Just ripping the shirt off of him? <laughs> not, not ripping the shirt off him, but just kind of like walking up to him, like kind of perching around him like he expected something from him, you know? And he was eating lunch, so he thought like maybe the bird wanted a scrap of food. But then like later on, he was like looking at his shirt. He was like, oh, I was wearing a blue shirt. And the like bird's this. just thinking, I don't know, this guy's kind of hot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, not not really. It was, it was a male bird, so he's probably more like, oh, man, I... 
I got some competition here, you know? Like, anyway, so these blue-loving male bowerbirds will meticulously ma maintain these bowers in this little alley uh, throughout the year, even in the non-breeding season, like I mentioned earlier. And they'll even sabotage other males' bowers by stealing the blue pieces from in front of their structures and bringing them back to their own. I do have a question. In these little alleys do they make, do they happen to wear, like, tiny little leather jackets have their hair slicked back and do they snap as they walk up and down it yes they do it's it's a very west side story but no actually what te what tends to happen is the female will sit in the bower while the male displays so the female bird will sit in there so the bower itself like the the actual like structure is aside from the sticks and the way it's actually built it's pretty nondescript like it's not decorated at all the area like in front of the bower is and that's where they'll put all their blue shiny stuff that they've collected for the purposes of displaying so what will happen is a female will approach this bower during the breeding season and the male will go through a, hu a, whole, a whole routine of singing and like you know flying around doing things like that you know and then once the female's in the bower the male in a lot of species will actually pick up like a piece of uh, its decoration and like show it to the female like hey you like this you like this you know you think this is cool? Yeah, exactly. And it depends on this whole routine varies widely from species to species. It's kind of like it's always sunny when they go to uh, Jersey Shore and Charlie sees the waitress there and he keeps finding like all these dead crabs. And it's like, do you do you like this? Do you like my treasures? And she goes, wow, that's really cool, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, basically. We just have to show off our specimens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The The theory with this species is that they like blue because it helps the males reflect their plumage. So because the males are iridescent black and blue, they uh, and they reflect a lot of UV light, they will surround themselves with a lot of the objects that will also reflect UV light like onto them while they're displaying to make them look like more impressive and shinier and things like that to make it more likely that the female will want to mate with them. That's a hypothesis about why they love blue so much and why they're always stealing our trash, but just our blue trash. So the females, they, they're the ones that love the blue. They like to see it. Exactly. So do not let them into a blue man group concert. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. It would be like that Hitchcock movie. It's, <laughs> it would not be good there's lots of lots of scratch marks and uh, just don't do it yeah blue men stay away from the satin bower birds just not a good idea or maybe the males like collectively they can work together and they can just take one of the blue men hostage <laughs> well that would never happen because the males don't work together the males actively sabotage each other oh, they're evolving I mean they've learned to pick up trash it's only a matter of time before they realize more blue equals group orgy. <laughs> That's not how birds work, though, man. <laughs> like, bird sex lasts maybe a second. This actually, this actually works out really well for this episode because you talked about mating, like the physical act of mating, and I talked about, and I'm going to talk about everything that leads up to it. Like that, like I'm not going to talk about how the birds mate at all because that's like that's the least exciting part of of this whole thing, at least for humans. For the males, I'm sure it's very exciting, but, you know, that's beside the point. Moving on. It's one second. 
but that's what they do all this for. That's the I whole point. Guess he point. really blew his load, huh? Stop it. That was so bad. I've been sitting on that one for a little bit. I, I, I'm putting you in timeout. You can't say anything for 30 seconds. That was a word. You violated the timeout. But anyway, so getting back to what I was saying. Yeah, so it's thought that these birds like blue because it makes them look better and more impressive. And speaking of that, that's a great segue into my second species, which is the great bower bird. So this is a bird which builds a bower that is not dissimilar to the satin bower bird. It's another alleyway. But there are some differences in the design choices. Yeah, theirs is something a bit more classy. I'm thinking Annapolis. No. You know, like a more historic city that's got more rustic vibes. It's not quite falling apart. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you how this bird decorates its bower. And you tell me what city you think it is. I'm thinking an alleyway that you could get like a classic shoe shine in you know like you don't see many of those anymore no no not really it's got the laundry hanging up it's not really an alley thing that's more of a street corner thing when was the last time you got a shoe shine in an alley when was the last time you got a shoe shine ever i think i got a shoe shine once like 10 years ago but i don't live in a city i feel like even if you were going to get a shoe shine you wouldn't get a shoe shine in an alley and if you did you'd be very worried about how your shoes looked after we're sneakers all the time I sometimes wear dress shoes. They actually really need to be shined, so maybe I should find a shoe shine guy. Not in an alley, though. That sounds sketchy as hell. Anyway, so like I said, there's some design differences, and the structure is a little different. This this particular alleyway is a bit larger. It's a little more bulky. So this species decorates its bower in a way that looks as if it has just strewn the ground around it with a bunch of random crap. Like a bunch of... Now, it's all like white or beige crap, but it just looks like a bunch of random crap if you first look at it. It just looks like somebody like saw an abandoned alleyway bower that a bird had made and then just like sprinkled a bunch of trash around it. And this is the greater bower? This is the great bower bird. Great bower. Yes. I guess great's relative. This guy sucks. <laughs> Let me finish and then and then make up your mind. So it looks random at first until you view the decorations from the inside of the bower. And then something remarkable takes place because the decor creates an optical illusion. Because the way that the bird has arranged the objects in front of the bower is they have put all of the larger objects further away and all the smaller objects closer to the entrance of the bower. So it creates this forced perspective thing. So that way, that way, when the male is displaying in front of the bower for the female, he looks bigger. And side note, the same kind of effect was how they made uh, Gandalf look bigger than the hobbits during a lot of scenes in Lord of the Rings, especially the ones in Hobbiton, in the original Lord of the Rings. Like, e Elijah Wood is only six inches shorter than Ian McKellen, but... Ian McKellen was placed closer to the camera in a lot of these scenes, so he looked huge. He also had a pretty tall hat. That also helps, too. They also surrounded McKellen with, like, undersized props, and they put a lot of oversized, oversized ones near all the people playing hobbits. So that way, like, all the hobbits look small, Ian McKellen looks really large, and that's just the way your eyes interpret what you're seeing on screen. 
And the same thing kind of happens with the bowerbirds here, right? They kind of like specifically select certain objects to make themselves look larger, you know, to the female while they're displaying. And so this is really cool. And they've done all these studies where they have like messed up the arrangement of the bower or the decorations in front of the bower and the male will actually come back and correct it. So it's not, it looks random to us, but it's totally not. And it's also not really a study. I just call that being a dick. Dude's just trying to get laid. This is literally his life's work and you mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. They're really cramping his style, man. They got to stop doing that. Um, but no, the, the male totally came back and corrected everything. You put everything back where it originally was, which is really cool because the male will remember where everything was. It's like when you see a friend at a bar and he's like really close to getting a girl's number. And you just walk in between them and rip ass really loudly. <laughs> <laughs> and then walk away. <laughs> just the fact that you two are associated, he has to go on damage control immediately and then it's over. It's done. See, I feel like you could still recover from that. I feel like what they're doing is more akin to going up to your friend and like putting your hand on his shoulder and like looking the and looking the girl in the eye and being like, "Hey, I love this guy, but you know he's a racist, right?" Like just doing some <laughs> shit like like that's something you can't recover from. Like that's what these researchers have done. But the males corrected it, so it's totally not random. Um, and the other thing, too, about this that's interesting is that most of the objects in this decoration scheme are colorless or, you know, beige or white or something like that, except for the most part, the ones that the male will use to display while the female is in the bower. So like I mentioned earlier, when the female's in the bower, the male will produce all kinds of calls. Uh, there's a lot of mimicking in a lot of these different bowerbird species. They will, this particular species actually has a pink crest. That's the one colorful part of the male bird. Uh, who otherwise looks pretty nondescript. And so the male will flash the crest and will pick up all these colorful pieces of, you know, its, dec its decor and show them to the female, kind of show off. Um, and so what's also interesting is that generally these colored pieces are green or red or something like that, which accentuate the color of his crest, which is a bright, like this bright, bright pink color. So... The overall effect is that the male is making himself look bigger and brighter while he's displaying for the female. And he's using an optical illusion to do it, which is really cool. And I'm telling you, they're just one step away from figuring out magnifying glasses and stage lights. And then they can make the Lord of the Rings. So, you know. <laughs> and then they can make the Lord of the Rings. That way Amazon doesn't have to do it. So then I move on to the last species I want to talk about, which is the Vogelkopf bowerbird. And... I think this species is actually the most impressive of these three, and it is the least impressive looking of the three. At least the male is. Like, the male bird, uh, the male Vogelkopf bowerbird is just brown. Relatively large for a songbird, but just brown, nondescript. But what is most impressive is the actual structure that he builds. This is a cabana bowerbird. Okay, I like this one the best. Right, exactly. So this is a this is the Copacabana bowerbird. Barry Manilow's playing all over the place. Shit's getting crazy here. So this structure is about a meter tall, which is incredible when you think about the fact that this bird is about the size of a blue jay. How tall is a blue jay for the people that don't know how tall blue jays are? Which I would think is most people. <laughs> don't say like it's about the size of two sparrows either. Give me an, a measurement. 
It's like three hummingbirds. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, blue jay is, you know, about nine, ten inches tall. So okay. This, this, this structure is several times taller than the male bowerbird is what I'm getting at. And it's, you know, a meter and a half wide in the middle of the jungle. And the male has cleared, will clear out this whole patch of jungle um, to build this structure and then to decorate the area in front of it, much like the previous two species do. The male will, like I said, will clear the area in front of the hut and will also clear out the interior. What's crazy about this species, or what I find really funny, is that this species, unlike the last two, doesn't really have a specific design scheme like the other two do. Their approach is more like whatever I think looks nice. Okay, they're more of a modern artist. Exactly. You know, the satin bower bird loves blue. Blue everywhere. If you see blue around a bower, that's a satin bower bird. You know you know who the culprit is there. If you see a bunch of trash in front of a bower, there you go. That's that's your that's your great bower bird. You go in there, you, if you sit in that bower, you're seeing all kinds of crazy optical illusion type shit. This bird, it's a cabana, but it could be decorated any number of different ways, depending on the taste of the male. In my opinion, this approach does work and does create really aesthetically pleasing and impressive structures because they're surrounded with these very neat, tidy piles of berries and flowers and feathers or even like beetle shells, very tidy, neat little piles in and around the bower. So they decorate the inside and the outside, which is something that the previous two alley bower birds didn't do. And so some males will like red or orange flowers and berries and decorate their bowers that way. So others like the satin bower bird tend to like blue. So they'll have a lot of like blueberries and blue flowers and things like that all over the place. And still others are partial to black and shiny beetle shells. And then there are other males that are kind of like a mixture. So really, these males are like, it's like you said, they're like modern artists. They all have their own tastes, and they're all just kind of going based on what they think looks good. So, it's like if HGTV was a bird. It'd just be Lover Listed. Yes. And the Property Brothers. Yeah. It's all my parents watch. HGTV. I watch very little HGTV because I just, I honestly think it's just so boring. You know, as I've gotten older... I've come to and enjoy it more and more. And I think that's a sign you're getting old. <laughs> it is. So here's the thing, though. Like, my family does a lot of, like, home renovations. Like, we just built a house for my brother. We've renovated a couple of different houses for my uh, for my sister. We just started renovating our bathroom in my current, in the house that I live in now. So I don't really find much enjoyment in HGTV because I'm like, why, why wouldn't I just go, like, help my family do that? You know? Yeah, but you can watch someone else do all the work and get immediate satisfaction because you can see the results. Right. But that's not nearly as good as the long term payoff in terms of satisfaction that you'll get from putting in the work and then looking at the end result, knowing that you're the one that did that. I can pr pretend that I did it. That's the thing. We watch it to escape reality. We all sit down, we watch and go, oh, I could do that easily. And we never do it. You know why? Because we probably couldn't do it easily. But if we never attempt it, we can keep lying to ourselves. Aw, Aaron, don't do that to yourself. Don't hide your home decoration talents in a bushel basket. <laughs> keep it locked away inside. My room decoration is a trout. A taxi... That's not a taxidermy. It's a fake trout. I don't know. This gotta be fake. A fake trout mounted on my wall that says Trout McClout... 
a banjo, and a piece of the Berlin Wall. I mean, I just got a bunch of movie posters hanging in my room, but there are a couple nice pictures. Oh, I do have a poster of a Paul Blart Mall Cop, but it's been modified, so it says Park Blop Moop Coop. You call it that a modification? Yeah. I, I feel like that's no longer recognizable as it's... So I was told freshman year that every student gets to get one free poster every semester from like the media center in the library. So I found this like poster. It was the poster of Paul Blart and it was mod. They switched the letters around. So it said park blop moop coop. And I thought it was really funny at the time. So I went in and I got that. And the guy said, are you sure that you want this? And I said, yeah, I'll go for it. Well, I found out later that you don't get one free poster a semester. You give one, period. That's it. That's all you get. <laughs> you just give one poster. And you're supposed to save it for like your senior year when you do a research project and you want to present it. Because <laughs> otherwise you have to pay for it. So I, I just blew it right away to get a shitty Paul Blart movie poster. You really pulled a flatworm on that one and just came way too quickly. Yeah, I did. But b- back to the vocal cop bowerbirds here. If there is any pattern that is consistent, it's that the males will try to find the rarest and best looking items to display in their little cabanas. So this will lead to a lot of competition as males are trying to go out and find really cool looking rare shit to put in their sh- in their little cabanas to impress the females. Of course, what will then happen is once another male finds some really good shit, a neighboring male will come in and steal that shit and take it for himself. There's all kinds of thievery that happens between the males of these species and males of a lot of different bowerbirds. What they found in a lot of these studies is that if they purposefully take away a lot of the decorations that a male has on his bower, he will go and then steal the decorations from another male and Hmm. kind of even the scales there a little bit. Misery likes company. Exactly. Aaron Johnson dating profile, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'll drag you down to my deaths. Right. Or just hope you're already there so we can just get that part over with and yeah. be miserable together. <laughs> Want to grab a drink? It'll be miserable. It'll suck, but it's not like you're doing much better. And that that's pretty much the Bowerbirds. Okay, so I have three questions. Shoot. First one. I'm assuming this makes them really prone to ground predators, right? These are all on the ground, correct? Yes. Yeah, so that's got to be a huge trade-off for getting laid because, I mean, their birds are not that big. And usually when you're a small bird, you want to be in a tree. That would be an issue, except that in the areas where these birds live, predation isn't as much of a problem. Um, That's why Birds of Paradise have evolved all these different you know, forms and colors and things like that. And that's why the bowerbirds are able to do all this stuff is because uh, there's a lack of predators and food is relatively plentiful. So they have time to basically just focus on getting laid, you know, really is a paradise. Yeah, exactly. So like, so if you think about, if you think about a guy like a, a human male, right. Who has just a shitload of money, a really good job. And, Nothing but time on his hands. What is that guy probably going to focus on? Getting laid. Exactly. 
So that's basically what these birds do, right? They're just like, you know, I got all this time on my hands. How can I be the most impressive me to a female? It is also worth noting for uh, to clear up any confusion, these bowers are not where nesting takes place. There is no nesting that occurs in these bowers whatsoever. They are built for the males for the sole purpose of impressing a female. Oh, so it's just like a honeymoon destination. Really is. These are the bachelor pads of the animal kingdom. There is no child rearing that occurs here. Like, and if there is, it, it sound, it's already starting to sound like the beginning of an 80s sitcom. Like as soon as he blows his load, he puts a little sign out front that says "No girls allowed," <laughs> <laughs> and then he just glares at them till the female flies away. Tonight on CBS, <laughs> there's no nesting that occurs here. In fact, as soon as the male mates with a female, the female leaves and raises the young entirely by herself. The male has no part in it whatsoever. Males will then stick around and just keep displaying for other females that's what they do so if you're a female like you're just kind of like well uh, i gotta do this all on my own i might as well get a pretty good show beforehand you know what i mean so that's basically what is happening with a lot of the species the male takes absolutely no part in child rearing and builds this incredible structure and goes through all the time to decorate it for the sole purpose of impressing a female so the nests where actual breeding takes place aren't really vulnerable to ground predators in the same way that a power would be. Okay. So question two, do you have, to your knowledge, I know like in Southeast U.S., gopher tortoises are very important because they dig burrows, and once they've left, other animals will use them. Does that happen with any of the bowers? Other animals use them for shelter when the bowers abandoned or passed on? Probably, but it wouldn't happen during the lifetime of the male bowerbird because the male would spend all of this time keeping it clear of debris. Like they go to all this time to create optical illusions. There's no way they're just going to let like a, you know, a stray cat come and like crash in their bower. Like that's not, happening. well, it's a, if a stray cat comes in, I don't think they have much of a say. <laughs> they, well, they, they probably do everything they can to make sure that cat gets out of there for one reason or another. But yeah, no, they're not just going to let like, you know, the local, the local schlubby turtle come in like crash and you know in their cabana no that's not gonna fly they're gonna get their eyes pecked out before that happens i mean i guess after the male dies sure a local snake could maybe come and enjoy a nice cabana vacation but not definitely not while the male's alive it's not like a woodpecker where um the woodpecker can like will like continually drill holes in trees um, and the abandoned holes can then be used by other species, whether they're other birds or snakes or whatever. It's pretty much the male focuses on this one structure for a pretty significant chunk of its life. Oh, yeah. And then my third thing. Did you say this was like Australia, New Guinea? Yeah. I wonder if like indigenous people or early colonizers ever saw these and thought they were like the work of fairies or something like that. <laughs> No, I'm being serious, though. Like, if I had no context for this and I saw a little cabana that's been decorated with beetles and berries and twigs like that, I'd be seriously confused. Yeah. Yeah, that that might have happened. I'm not aware of any local native customs that arose from or customs or belief, beliefs that arose from seeing bowers on the ground. But, yeah, that sounds pretty reasonable to me. 
if I didn't ha- if I didn't know what a bowerbird was. When you're talking about the one that was like you said three meters tall or three feet tall? Three feet. A meter okay. tall. Yeah. Okay. Very different heights. Yeah, three feet tall still though, that's fairly noticeable, you know? I would see that, I'm like, well that's odd, you know, what did that? Yeah, but that that's still, you know, really impressive for a bird. Oh yeah, it's totally impressive for a bird, but if you don't see the bird, you're just like, What did this? Yeah, I suppose. Some kind of fairy or troll. Not a troll. Trolls are like they they get bridges. Maybe the alleyways. <laughs> yeah. The cabanas are built by the fairies and the alleys are built by the trolls. <laughs> trolls. Well they collect the trash, right? It's such a troll thing. Oh, that reminds me. After hearing about the Great Bowerbird and it's trash collecting and uh trash arranging. What what city do you think that sounds most like? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. <laughs> as soon as you brought up trash, I knew exactly where this was going. So you think Philadelphia is one giant optical illusion? <laughs> yeah. They want you It looks really big when you get there. It's just oops, all <laughs> trash. <laughs> the trash uh leads you to believe that the city is a lot bigger than it is. But uh, yeah, those are the bowerbirds, man. Or at least three species. There are lots of other species that are definitely worth looking into. I chose not to talk about them because they're either not as impressive as these three or they're, they rely more on like bright colors and calls and things like that. That, Like I said before, don't really lend themselves to a podcast. Very cool. I urge you all to go and look up some pictures of these bowers. I absolutely would uh, recommend that as well. But they're pretty cool. Definitely. Or watch a nature documentary. There's a pretty okay. good one on Netflix that talks about a lot about birds of paradise, but there are a few bowerbird species that are featured. All right. And with that brings the question of what are we going to do next time? All right. I thought about this. So we talked about mating and mating displays this episode. Yeah. So next episode it follows logically that we should talk about parenting all right i guess we can do parenting do you have another suggestion because i know you have them all up your sleeve they're all birds well we've been talking about islands since like episode two we have we have we, we could do islands i we think could, island, islands, islands is a broad it's a broad net i thought islands and another thing i thought was we could do man just evolution i'm thinking like really that's broad literally topics. the entire that's literally the podcast man yeah well not- <laughs> okay yeah pretty much so you're just saying we have no topic <laughs> next time talk about whatever the hell you want it's like it's like our intro our first episode all over again we're just letting chaos rain oh we could shake it up with a little chaos raining every now and then okay what i'm saying for the next episode Okay, well, I say we've been sitting on islands for a long time, and islands, that's a broad range, broad interpretation of islands. You know, it can okay. happen on an island, it could be about an island, an animal on the island, history of an island. Metaphorically, I'm on an island right now trying to argue my next topic. <laughs> There's many parents on islands. It's just not the same. All right, fine. Fine. Islands. Islands. That's that's solid. We can work with that. Okay. Islands it is. Tune in for the next episode when we talk about uh, islands. I'm excited. 
If you like this episode, feel free to give us a follow and a review on your podcast app of choice. If you have any questions or recommendations for a future episode, you can reach us at theprimordialsouppot at gmail.com, all one word, lowercase, or on Twitter at souppotpodcast. All right. Sounds good. I'll talk to you next time from our own individual islands. Yes. All right. See ya. See ya.